Where did this whole sense of protection come from? Was this something you were kind of born with? Was this in your family dynamic? Was this something you always felt well taken yeah. care of? So you felt, you know, yeah. growing up, hey, I want to do this for others. Or I mean, how do you get into because you've, you've seen the security side. Yeah. You've seen the protection, but the medicine side as well. So, I mean, what when did this start? I mean, I watched MacGyver and I'm like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> uh, you can make a bomb out of a paperclip in a, in a rubber yeah. band. There are three things that happened in my early childhood that I definitively remember. And I've had people ask me this question because I've thought back, well, you know, how did I get here? Because this is, there's no path to get here. You got to create it. This is a created path. This is not a path that you can just jump on. Now it's a path people can jump on because we've created it. I remember when I was 12 years old, right? My, my pastor and his, uh, his family were involved in a car accident uh, right before Christmas. And uh, my 12 year old best friend and his grandmother and his mother were all killed in this car accident in Ohio. Oh my gosh. Um, they went into a body of water in the middle of Ohio, inside Ohio uh, Highway, where it was frozen water. State trooper tried to jump in and save him, but it was just too cold, right? So all three of them died, and I was 12 years old. And I remember vividly all of it happened. I remember, I remember everything. I remember being the pallbearer in his funeral. And so I started getting involved with 4-H, and like I, I started collecting first aid equipment and stuff. And I remember my mom, she brought me to a local fire department. <laughs> and he wants to build a 4-H first aid kit in this EMS agency in Franklin, Ohio. They were an EMS-only outfit. Uh, they weren't attached to the fire department. They uh, brought me in, and I, I helped me put together a first aid kit for my 4-H. I think I got, like, third place. Not because the equipment they gave me was definitely, <laughs> yeah, was definitely high, the equipment was high speed, but my ability to, to, to present that at, now, at 12 years old was probably not that great. But, but I remember that being a very early thing. I want to help people, right? Because I, you know, on my 16th birthday, the same thing happened with another pastor. Um, his daughter was killed in a car accident. Jeez. And so I... Fast forward, I remember back, um, I think probably even earlier to th than that, my brother, I have an older brother, he fell ill at our house. And I remember vividly grabbing like a little toy radio with the toy antenna and putting on like a white pair of pants and a white shirt and a fake little toy stethoscope and went down there and was like taking care of my brother <laughs> with all these like, like, I was like probably like seven or eight years old. And then I remember um, another thing where I was out at my grandmother's farm in Springfield, Ohio. And my nurse had explicitly went to nursing school to take care of my grandfather when he was dying of Alzheimer's. They wanted him to be taken care of at home, protect him at home, right? And um, she then took care of my great-grandmother when she died as well. So she took care of both of them. Uh, I remember watching her go through nursing school, my Aunt Kathy. And I remember her having a friend come over who was a volunteer EMT in Ohio. And he came over in just a regular car, and he had a little little red light he put on top of his car and i was a child it was, it was the impression was just like oh my god right mm -hmm. take those those things now now i'm in my 40s i'm in virginia i have vehicles that have lights and siren on them i have equipment that i can do telemedicine from where my doctor's on his boat or in the car or in the office or in responding to us he can see all the things that are happening it's polarizing what i was doing as a child is what i created as an adult but i had no clue i was doing it Right. You know, in college, I was a firefighter EMT. I left there to go teach an uh, occupational environmental medicine and went back for my uh, master's of public health degree. And then got sucked into this thing called operational medicine. We're like doing really cool things with like the FBI and DEA and, and all these other cool bioterrorism stuff, really fun stuff, right? Stuff that's just not, you know, post 9 11, not things you would go to school for. Now you yeah, can. Yeah, I was going to say, what letters are behind your name for these things? Yeah, so right? I have a master's of public health in toxicology and risk assessment. I've got a graduate certificate in disaster management. I have a master's of professional studies and security and safety leadership. I'm a certified hazardous materials manager. I'm a certified emergency manager. 
certified business continuity professional, project management professional, a um, uh, NRP, a nationally registered paramedic. I'm also a people called PPS in Virginia, a personal protection specialist, security officer, and a private investigator. <laughs> so <laughs> wait five minutes, I'll have something Whoa, else. Oh, that's that. an auto so, signature. So yeah, like scroll to the right. So you go forward and you and you do all these funky things. And I've had a, a tremendous opportunity to be part of. Um, it might, uh, with the National Disaster Medical System, and I've worked at the Department of Defense, the Pentagon. I've worked for Immigration Customs Enforcement doing emergency management. I've been part of these really cool high-speed outfits, right? And I'm still part of HHS as an intermittent employee. But when I established Emergility and, and then protective medicine, it kind of took from all of the different things that I'd done in life. Wait, why does only the FBI get this really cool operational medicine capability? Why does only the SWAT team get this really cool medical capability? Why can't individuals have that protection? And then when you research it more, you research it more. The Department of Defense, the Pentagon, of course, protection agency, are a protection agency. Secret Service is a protection agency. State Department Diplomatic Security is a protection agency, right? They have a protection mission, but law enforcement does not have a protection mission. FBI, DA, so how are they doing medical? It's like, I'm so confused. Like, I'm looking at the case law. I'm looking at, like, how are they actually forming these things? And then I stumbled upon this thing called duty to protect. And this was in my graduate studies, and I'm studying this duty to protect. I'm like, wait a minute here. You mean to tell me that if I call 911, someone comes to my house, and I'm dying or I'm getting beat up by someone. Someone's robbing me, and they're like, they're hurting my family. 911 has to come, but they actually don't have a duty to protect me. Whoa. What? I'm, I'm a little mm-hmm. bit terrified here. Mm-hmm. So um, this whole idea about security and protection. So I started looking at charters of, uh, you know, of law enforcement agencies. And, and there you know, see this you know, protect and serve inside of police cars. And you start researching it more. And you're like, oh, my God. Yes, they serve, but they actually don't have a duty to protect. Those officers and police officers, you know, police officers and law enforcement and firefighters, EMS, that put themselves in harm's way, that choose to go into a burning building to save someone that choose to engage an active threat, a robber that's shooting at them, a terrorist. They don't have a duty to do that. We call them heroes when they choose to do those things. Right. They put themselves in harm's way without having a duty to do it. What does the public call them? Well, that's part of their job. It is not part of their job. Public safety is not does not have a duty to protect. When they do it, they are heroes. And why do I say that? It's because, well, you look right now at present-day perspectives of public safety, and people say, well, they got injured. That's part of their job. No. The expectation of what public safety is supposed to do and what they do do, if they don't do what they're legally not obligated to do, they get judged. Right? Now, there's been some very bad things that have happened in our country recently school attacks, shootings, and there have been officers that have, have chosen to engage and officers that have chosen not to engage based on all kinds of things, not having the right capability, not having the right training, not knowing what the threat is, just fear, just flat-out terror, right? Well, guess what? They did not have a duty to go in and protect. Well, that's unacceptable. Everyone would say that's unacceptable. Well, guess what? That's the law. Mm. And those officers that did go in, those are heroes. They are heroes. And that's why we call them. You don't call someone a hero for no reason. You don't just put a badge on and become a hero. You have to do something 
that's outside of what is expected of you. But unfortunately, the community expects law enforcement to do these things. Now, full circle, as a private agency, we are a protection agency. We are a first, a private security service, and we are an emergency medical services agency. You put those two together. You have the ability to, pro- to provide protective medicine, literally provide protective medicine because we can protect a patient and treat them. We can protect them against a threat and we can protect them against a disease or an injury. We have that full gamut, right? And the reason we combine both a private security service with an EMS agency was, was using different tools to get a job done. The mobile integrated healthcare community paramedicine is a subset of the emergency medical services that allows us to bring advanced practice into the field to treat someone. The private security stuff allows us to defend and protect someone if there's an active threat. We're not 911. We actually have a duty to protect because we enter into a contract agreement right. to protect. Police and fire, they do not. Now, those services are amazing. We support them. The public needs to know, just like insurance. There are limitations to insurance. And just because insurance says you should, coulda, woulda, doesn't mean you. That will be the best in your best interest. Right. The same thing for public safety. There's an expectation from the public of what public safety can and will do. And then there is their charter and the law and their policies. For us, we don't want our patients or our protectees or our clients to have to pick up the phone when they're out running at a park having to call 911 to tell someone I'm being attacked. We want to, them to be empowered to defend themselves. We want them to be empowered to maybe have maybe picked a different running path that wouldn't have been a high threat. But if they do enter in, in, in that situation, we want them to be prepared to, to have to, to be able to deal with it. Do you, sir, please don't attack me while I wait. Let me call 911 here. Where am I at? Okay, so I'm going to be at this park. I'm going to be on trail. Wait, wait, stop. Stop punching me here. I'm on, I'm on trail number 33. I'm on trail marker five. Right. How long does it take you to 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 call for help and then to get the, to get help to respond to you? Right. And then if they're typing another call, you may not be the priority. There's three things that people need to understand about emergency medicine. There's the word emergency medicine, which is the practice. There's the emergency room where someone would go. And there's the emergency department, which is part of a hospital that kind of runs the things that happen in the emergency room. Well, it was 60-something years ago in Alexandria, Virginia, where emergency medicine really started. The first ER, the first emergency room, was in Duke Street in Mm. Alexandria. Then the specialty of emergency medicine was created. So from there, the last 55, 60 years, what we think as a society is the only place where you can find emergency medicine is at a hospital. People mm. fail to realize that emergency medicine can be anywhere. It doesn't have to be in a hospital. <laughs> Why can't an emergency medicine practitioner, a physician assistant, paramedic, nurse, bring that care to someone? And they can. So it's this sort of rebranding, re-educating the public and also professionals to say, the ER in a hospital is not the only place where emergency medicine is practiced. And so the same thing for emergency medical services. Service is, is, is a very generic thing. Where do you get injured? You don't get injured at a hospital. You get injured at your home, out in the field, 
at work, skiing, at a concert. You don't get injured in a hospital, but yet you have to go to that hospital to be treated. Why? Especially if you're sick. If you're sick and you have an infection, do you think that's the best place to go? In most countries around the world, people do go to hospitals to die. They don't go there to get right. treated. That's the end of this was, life. This was end of visit, life. Right. And with protective medicine, we're not trying to change emergency medicine. So let me go back up a little bit further here. Growing up, our primary care doctors, our pediatricians could do wound repairs. They could do suturing. They would do abscess drainings. They would do small surgical procedures at their local office. Do they do that anymore? Some. Some might. But usually you get punted to an urgent care center if you have a laceration. And, or you'll get punted to an ER. And back then also, doctors could come to your house. and They would come to your house. I know when my grandmother came to the United States you know, years ago, she was an immigrant, doctors would come to the house to take mm. care of people. They don't do that anymore. So the business model of medicine has shifted because business has taken over the delivery of care. So historically, this idea of the medical doctor was the person that protects you from illness, protects you from injury, protects you from dying and getting worse. They're the healer. There's nothing, there's nothing more protective than someone taking care of you. But the way medicine has shifted, insurance says you must get access to, to care here. You can only see this doctor. You're limited to this facility in this geographic location. You must pay this amount. You can't qualify for that service because it's excluded. So what people end up doing is they get pigeonholed into a specific treatment pattern or they only go to receive care from the places that their insurance says you can get care. Right. Now, the emergence of mobile integrated healthcare community paramedicine, MIHCP, where you can do advanced practice paramedicine with physician consults, telemedicine with you know advanced practitioners to deliver definitive care at someone's home or in the field can prevent that person from having to go to an ER. Now, we had a patient that we recently took on in uh, January, I believe it was January of this year. Took care of him for six months, just passed away a few weeks ago. We did 34 responses to his house. 34. We did not go there to treat cancer. We went there to change an obstructed catheter. Now, I never would have thought that's going to be a medical emergency. Who would have thought that? I never would have thought that as a paramedic, that changing catheter is going to save someone's life. But when you are in your 90s and you are frail and you've got metastatic cancer and your only option at 2 or 3 in the morning is to call 911 to have a bunch of phenomenal paramedics and firefighters take you out of bed, put you in a stair chair, bring you down the stairs, put you on a cot, bring you to an ambulance, drive you to a busy emergency department to where you then wait another six or seven hours while you're retaining urine. What can result is end organ failure. Patient we took care of was a medical professional, and every time we would go there, he would say, you're saving my life. What do you mean we're saving your life? We're changing a catheter. This isn't your like your cool trauma. This isn't like your car accident, your shooting, or right. That's what I associate emergency medicine with. Correct. Trauma. That's what I always thought. Random. Too. Because that fundamentally, 
was where emergency services came from, medical services came from, was Department of Transportation, car accidents, trauma, but it's evolved into this primary care sort of thing, this almost like a public health you know, service. I mean, EMS has really evolved into being this, this public-serving thing where we do a lot of primary care stuff. 90-plus of my patients that I've ever taken to the hospital didn't need to go to the hospital. We could have brought the medicine to them if there was a service that could do it. Hospitals do phenomenal things for people. They save lives every day, but there are gaps. In certain situations, the hospital is absolutely 100% always going to be the right thing, like crushing chest pain, heart attacks, right? Yeah, but what level of pain? I could have a mild chest pain. I could have what I fear, you know, when you think about heart attack. Appendage-wise, you start kind of numbing yeah. along the, you know, the limbs and well, knowing other your, signs. Knowing your body, knowing your history, doing the preventive medicine, knowing that do I have a pre-existing cardiac issue, do I have a family history of cardiac? Mm-hmm. If you are a healthy person, no family history of cardiac, anything at all, and you work out in the gym and maybe you have a, you know, anxiety, right? Anxiety can give that same symptom of, oh, my God, I'm having a heart attack, right? When you don't know definitively, always go for the highest level of care. When you just don't know. Like, right. I could be. But if you have someone who comes to your house who can do an iStat, pull some labs, do a 12 lead and say, look, you, and you're not symptomatic, we're not showing, you know, a STEMI, you're not showing STA elevations here, that's an informed decision for you to say, well, you know, maybe I don't need to go to the ER. But when you don't have that, then yeah, 100% go, right? You hit your head, you have blurred vision, you nausea, vomiting, probably should go to the ER, get a CT scan, facial droop pupils that are going in the wrong direction or, you know, I, you know, one's getting big, one's getting small, dilation, constriction, you probably should go to the ER, right? But the lacerations, diarrhea, belly pain, you know, a little bit of bronchitis here, stub toe, you know, even fractures. You can set a lot of fractures following the proper techniques with an advanced practitioner in the field, put someone in orthoglass and do an orthoconsult the next day. You don't always have to go to the ER. But what does that look like? I can paint the picture of the look and the smell and the waiting time of going to the ER. What does that look like? I'm sitting here and I'm having an episode right here in my living room watching Netflix. Who pulls up? What does it look like? Are you making noise? Are you breaking down the door? First of all, how did I reach you? And then what? what's the look yeah. com- coming in? Yeah. And then what is the actual setup? Yeah. Great question. So when you call 911... Just we'll talk about 911. Someone familiar with 911. You talk right. to a dispatcher, and a dispatcher is supposed to ask you questions about what's going on. They're supposed to then dispatch appropriate resources, basic life support or advanced life support. But not all dispatchers are trained to do the medical questionnaires. So sometimes you're going to get a 911 response, and you could get a basic life support unit. You could get an advanced life support unit, and they don't know what they're coming into. They have to assess the patient. Based on, the, based on the assessment, then they choose a desti- two treatment options on site and then destination to transport. For us, our patients access us by calling us directly. If they're having a life-threatening emergency, we always say call 911 first, then call us. Okay, well, it, what does that do then? Because they're going to start sending you great. Know, the, the, Absolutely. The, the lights and the... Absolutely. If it's life-threatening, yeah. Because if it's life-threatening, it, you know, send the cavalry. Send everything, right? Because your life, nothing is more important than your life, right? So send it all. But we have patients who have called us who could be having a life-threatening emergency, but they refuse to call 911 because they don't want to call 911. They don't want the entourage. They don't want mm-hmm. the sirens. And the, so we still respond lights and siren as a, an emergency service, and we tell them, you really need to call 911, but we cannot force them to call 911. It is their choice. 
it is the patient's choice. Okay. But your recommendation is to call, call 911. Yeah, you're having crushing, crushing chest pain. You better be calling 911. And now, right. and we, we may end up calling them, which we have several times called after we've gotten there. We've actually called before we've even responded for certain patients. And it, they were the right decisions. They needed to go to the ER. In fact, some led to surgery and some led to you know, admissions. But the ones that have called us, we have had patients call us who, who have, have told us things about their condition where, like, yeah, you really need to. And we've gotten there and, we, and we've assessed them and they were not having a life-threatening emergency. They were not. How do we know that? Well, in my 20 plus years in 911 services, I would call a medical director every once in a while. Really ever, honestly, but because we have protocols. But in our practice, we call a medical control on almost every single call because we're doing advanced practice paramedicine. We have a physician or a physician assistant or nurse practitioner on every single call via tele, or they respond out too. So you have that definitive assessment where you know we're doing we're putting up someone on our on our monitor. We're doing you know taking a look at the heart with our twelve lead. We're getting out ultrasound. We're getting out different diagnostic tools, drawing you know uh, blood for labs, whatever it is based on the condition of the patient, to provide that patient with informed decision making: go or don't go, treat or don't treat. Because the only option with nine one one is treat and transport or refusal of care. And you choose treat and transport, you're gonna go to where they think is best for you. Right. You can choose sometimes. Some sometimes they will let you go to other places, but it's you have to know how to navigate that. And you're not gonna like say for Northern Virginia, you're not gonna get a transport to Washington Hospital Center if they can take it to Fairfax. Sure. It just it, it's, it's proximity, it's and then it's correct. whoever's on call. Correct, correct. And they can based on resources and things because that's not what nine one's for. Nine one is there to save your life. They're there to take you to an ER because you should be having a life running emergency. When you call nine one one, it should be life or death. You shouldn't be calling 911 if you don't have a life-threatening emergency. 90% of my calls in 911 services were not emergencies. Right. They but this weren't. is driving up the cost of the whole system, though, That overall. is correct. That is correct. And people say, well, why are the ERs, why are the ERs overcrowded? Why do people go there? What's going on here? Well, when you call your primary care doctor after 5 p.m. and say, well, if this is an you know, emergency, call 911 and go to the ER, right? But it may not be a life-threatening emergency, but you could be having bronchitis, you could be having GI upset, whatever, but your only option to access care is this 24-hour dock in a box called an ER that's open. That's your only option, so you have to go to the ER. Well, why are people going there for primary care? One, because people don't may not have a primary care physician, or two, because they're told to go there. Now, we've seen a shift since COVID. It's no longer go there after 5 p.m. It's you're not going to get an appointment to your doctor for two weeks to a month. So your only option is what? Wow. Going to the ER, okay. right? going to the urgent care. So the idea of protection, that primary care doctor historically would come to your house, take care of the family. He knew everyone in the family. He, he, he delivered the baby and he, and he pronounced to grandpa, right? It was that, right. One, it was that one doctor, right? That was, that was history, right? Cradle to grave. That was protective medicine. Medicine, you shouldn't have to say protective in front of medicine. Medicine should be protective in and of itself. But because we've had a shift in business taking over medicine, where you can't get access because your doctor can't see you for two weeks, you can't go anywhere else but the ER. But if you go to the ER, you have to wait six or seven hours. Oh, who's taking care of me? Who's protecting me? It's not the government's job to protect you. Public safety does not have a duty to protect. 
Law enforcement, fire, and EMS do not have a duty to protect individuals. Look it up. There's all kinds of case law about it. They will come take care of you if you call 911, but they don't have a duty to, meaning you could sit there for three or four hours. They could be doing something else. They don't have to come protect you. They should come respond. They have a duty to act. They have a duty to respond, but not a duty to protect. So who does? You go to the ER, the nurses don't have a duty to protect you. They have a duty to treat you. Mm-hmm. Right. Everything's already been predetermined. They're just going through the motions. Checkbox. Do, 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 do. Sure. So, you know, unless you have, if you've been to the ER recently or unless you've been there with a family member, unless you have someone standing by your side, a family member, a neighbor, a loved one, a, a family member who's a provider that is able to watch what's going on while you are sick, unless you have that advocate, there's no one protecting you. So this idea of protective medicine is while we in our practice can provide medical care in a security environment, in an actual legitimate security environment, it's not exclusive to those situations. Protective medicine is for all of us. Having a practice that's dedicated to taking care of you and your family that you can access 24-7. We can't solve every problem, but we can help you navigate and help you find the solution to the issue that you need. You need ortho, you need neuro. We can help do that emergency assessment, the urgent assessment, that protective assessment, right? where you need it, when you need it. But I think an important distinction is not you're not going to actually be putting, you could be putting the cast on, you're not going to be doing the hip replacement. Correct. We're right. not going to be doing surgical procedures like another surgical surgery, procedures. We can do. Right. We can do the wound repairs. We can do a wound closures. We can bring out a physician assistant or a physician to do wound closures. We can treat with antibiotics. We can treat for septicemia, which we have before successfully. But is that an extra cost, though? I'm paying you now to put, you know, set it, and then now probably the next course of action is to go yeah, that's a great to question. that ER. That's a great question. So like you look at cost of medicine, some generic numbers here, right? So 800 to $1,500 for an ambulance, depending on where you are in the United States. Whether you have insurance or not, it's a whole other argument. You get to the ER, you wait three or four hours, even though you're brought in by EMS, you still wait three or four hours to get treated. And then you pay another three to 5,000, depending on what's going on. Get imaging, you say ortho sees oh, you, neuro sees you, vascular sees you, whoever sees you. You get a bit different bill from all these different practices. You, you go home and you pay one, and you get another one comes, and you pay another one. You pay. It's like, this is unbelievable. But I have insurance. Well, you probably have a copay of like 1500 and an out-of-pocket maximum of three to 5000 But that's cool because you just could have gotten that for a lot cheaper, right? Well, what do you mean? Tylenol may cost, you know, 30, 40, 50 bucks for a pill. Recephin, how much does Recephin cost? And you know, we were told by one practice that Recephin costs $500. What's Recephin? It's an antibiotic. Okay. So we gave a, a patient Recephin to treat an antibi- uh, a bacterial infection at their house with IV fluids over the course of a, you know, an hour we're there. That Recephin costs $5. So for our patients, they pay the membership fee for access to us 24-7. And then we go out, it's a fixed hourly rate. That's it. Not by procedure. The total time it takes to take care of that case. You send you send two paramedics out to someone's house, right? And you have a physician on telly. You could spend two hours with that patient with three people involved. Right. Up to a physician level and still be less costly than the transport to the hospital on our service plan. Let me say that Am again. Am I still having to go, though? Am I still going to have to so go to that place? If you have to go, we wouldn't have been at your house for two hours. We would have been at your house for five minutes 
Gotcha. And said, so you determine that real quick. <laughs> absolutely. One of the first things that EMS does when they arrive at someone's house, one of the first things, you want to figure out how many patients do I have? Is this scene safe? What resources do I need? We are in no business of keeping people from getting care. No way. We are in the business of informed treatment, informed consent, informed decision-making, right? That's the protective piece. Because if 911 shows up, arguably people, well, that's protection. Well, okay, but not legally. And are they trying to help you? Of course, absolutely trying to help you, bring you somewhere. But guess what? The only option is for them to bring you somewhere. Is it better than sitting on a couch? Yeah, maybe. But if they had another option to bring you somewhere else, would that have been more protective for the patient? Financially protective by bringing you to an urgent care center rather than the ER? Yes. Financially protected by bringing you to primary care? Yes. But they can't because of the way the law and the way the policies are set up. And the EMS is not designed to do that. They're not designed to bring you to a dialysis center. They're not designed to do that, right? They're not designed to do definitive care unless they're doing a mobile integrated healthcare community paramedicine model. But then the problem with public EMS doing that is they can't get reimbursed for the care because they get reimbursed by transporting. And the government just cut a lot of the funding for that. There was a five-year grant that was out there, and they just cut it in about mm-hmm. three years. They cut the last two years off. So in our model, we're not replacing 911. We're not replacing ERs. We're not replacing primary care. We are complementing all those services, and we're adding a protective layer over all of them to fill the gaps where they exist, not to replace current services. We're not competing with hospitals. We're not competing with primary care docs. We're not competing, competing with concierge medicine. We're complementing. We're physician extending. We're that one person, that one agency that they can call 24-7 with the aim of protecting their health security. That one group, that's us. So what does it look like? I have insurance through my employer. My wife has different insurance through her employer. Our kids roll up to her coverage. We, you know, we flip a coin. Is it mine? Is it yours? What costs less? Family of four, 12-year-old, 10-year-old, two middle-aged parents, mm-hmm. right? Where do you fit in? So we feel, well, it's a great question. Do not get rid of your insurance. Insurance is important. You need to have insurance, especially catastrophic. If, if you don't have anything at all, you at least need to have catastrophic insurance. And every concierge practice will tell you that. You should absolutely have catastrophic. Or being medevaced out somewhere, having like a $40,000 surgical repair that needs to get done. You need that coverage for that sort of thing. Okay, bankrupt if you don't, right? Most people at least. But if your insurance says to you and your wife and your children, based on your plan, you can only go to this service or this service or this service. And you can only access them at this different time. But you know what your child really needs. What they really need today is someone to come to them. What they really need is an extra amount, extra time with a doctor to talk to them. What they really need is someone to call up when you're on travel. Say, hey, man, I, I, need, I need someone to talk to. How valuable would that be to you? Mm. Right? Those other services don't do that. Your doctor's not going to do a televisit impromptu when you're trying to get out the door to catch a flight to vacation, when your kids are having motion sickness or diarrhea or they're, they're you know, vomiting mm-hmm. and they need some, maybe they need some Zofran or whatever they might be needing, they're not going to do that for you. They're not going to drive to the airport and do a quick assessment while you're waiting for an international flight. They're not going to do right. these funky things where, you know, someone that had a really asymmetric medical practice could do, right? They're not an emergency service. So where do we fit in this gap? It's three in the morning. You got to work tomorrow. Your wife's got to work tomorrow. Your kids have been sick all day long. Who do you call? Are you giving the right doses of Motrin and Tylenol? 
do, do they maybe need an antibiotic? Do they maybe need to do a blood draw to make, you know, what's going on? Is this a staph infection? Do, can we, should we do a culture? What, what, what is the issue? Because there's nothing more valuable than protecting your family. And, and being in your own home and at the being time. in your own home and you making the decision, not an insurance company telling you how you should protect them. Don't replace them. They are an option. We're a different kind of tool to use for a different type of job. They are of value. Keep them. We are filling the gaps where they don't. That's the biggest thing. So most pediatrician offices aren't going to be available after 5 p.m. Maybe they'll have an on-call doc. Maybe, maybe not. But if you need definitive treatment, they're going to punch you to a pediatric hospital and punch you somewhere else. You may not need that. And so there are a lot of other gaps and stuff. What if you're at a park? What if you're at a birthday party? You know, what if you have family in from out of town? They don't have a primary care doc here. They don't have something. They need a stat, you know, med, you know a medication refill. But they don't have, they don't, you haven't done, you need to do a workup on them first. You can't just give out a prescription to someone that you don't know. Who can you call to do that kind of stuff? We're always available via tele. So we can always get a, a doctor on the phone. We can always get a PA on the phone. We can always get an NP on the so phone. So a virtual consultation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, is, am I sick or not sick? Well, we can do that assessment really quick and over the phone, have the doctor ask certain questions. If the medical condition indicates, hey, you know what? You probably should go get looked at. That's a really good piece of information rather than, hey, it's okay. They're running a fever. Calm down, parents. You know, it's okay because that's 90% of the thing. Most of the time, it's a viral infection, and the parents need to put the kid on some you know, Tylenol or Motrin, and you're good to go. Most of the time. Not always. But a doctor needs to be the one telling you that what you should or shouldn't do. But what mm-hmm. good peace of mind you would have by talking to a doctor at 2 in the morning in the Poconos, right? That's a doctor that's already protecting you and your family. And let's say, okay, now you know what? We need to write a script. We'll go out. We'll look at all the pharmacies that are open. We'll, go, we'll tell you which pharmacy to go to. That's closest to you based on your geographic location. We'll do all that medical advance for you. In fact, we can even go one step further. As part of our practice, because we're protective medicine, we can do prophylactic uh, travel scripts, right? So these travel packs that we can send. We can, based on your medical need and your medical condition, we can do an assessment with our physician and provide you with certain medications that may be used in an emergency. They, if you're going to go overseas or if you're going to be traveling here domestically. So you call us up. XYZ, we do the assessment, take one, two, three bottles of ABC, whatever it might be, you know, grab the Medi honey out of here, grab the Tylenol out of there, there you go. Now you don't have to go to a pharmacy because you already had everything with you. Prescriptions that were already available for you for your protection. If you fall and break your ankle, a travel pack's not going to help you very much, right? You're still going to need to be seen right, right somewhere, but you can still call us and we can help you navigate where you are, what hospital you need to go to. Well, it just couple things blow my mind from this conversation. First and foremost, emergency medicine started here in Alexandria, right Correct. in our backyard. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, absolutely. what? Are you kidding right. me? A concept that, again, we appreciate, but we do abuse. We're uninformed on the correct way to use it. We yep. overspend when we probably Correct. don't need to. Yep. We overreact when we don't need to. Correct. And we need kind of to just settle in and just take stock exactly of what's happening and what our best opportunities are. That's correct. You guys are a fail-safe in a sense. You're, you're just kind of this coding, like you said, over the whole thing from safety to actually care. And I just, it blows my mind, fortunate enough to be in this area, that you guys exist here and that nobody else is really doing this. You have the trademark protective medicine. So you've created this market basically from security background to medical 
we're lucky to be here. Right? Yeah. I feel very fortunate to be here, and we need to get the word out and let families know that, look, if you are looking for something that's a little bit more personalized, a little bit more for you and your family, you do have that travel or that trip that you're going on, or you just want to feel safe and be able to call somewhere where something came up and it just feels like overkill to go through the whole ER and you don't want to sit in an ER and wait in the ER and then get somebody randomly assigned to you to actually do the care. That's right. So you guys are here to do that. So it's really important. Everybody should just consider this. Visit emergility.com, E-M-E-R-G-I-L-I-T-Y. Sounds like flexibility and emergency <laughs> and all of that and agility, yeah, right? Absolutely. So it's all of that kind yep. of combined in. And so thank you, thank Tony, you. for absolutely. creating this. This is certainly a service that has been just created and you're connecting the dots from all these different pieces from your own background and your own heart to do this. So everybody, check it out again, emergility.com to learn more. And thank you for being on the pod. Thank you. All right. (laughs) Sounds good. Be safe. And thank you all for listening and supporting the pod of DC. I'm your host, Rick Bernstein, and we'll talk soon.